In due course, we will resume our series in Mark's Gospel. My hope, God willing, is to try and combine the last two chapters in Mark with the Easter season. Uh, So we'll just have to see how the Lord leads there. Now, over the Christmas period, we've been led to Matthew's accounts of the birth of Jesus Christ. And we're going to look this morning at the uh, well-known accounts in uh, the first half of Matthew 2 of the wise men, or the magi, as they are called in certain Bible translations. And you may say to me, Pastor, uh, aren't we a bit late? And I will say to you, no, we're a bit early. Uh, The star appeared... Uh, to these men who were probably living uh, in either modern-day Iraq or Iran. That's interesting, with our Iranian brethren coming to church. And the star appeared when Jesus was born. And so to have travelled from Iran, Iraq, all the way uh, to Bethlehem would have entailed at least... A couple of months. So by the time the wise men arrived, Jesus was no longer uh, in the manger, as the classic nativity scenes often depict. Uh, The shepherds on one side, the wise men on the other, that is an impossibility. They would have moved to a house uh, in Bethlehem, and we're talking about a few months after the birth of Jesus Christ. And the reason why I want us to consider it is the question uh, that the wise men ask uh, King Herod. Where is he? Verse 2. Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. Is that your desire coming uh, here this morning? Where can I find Jesus Christ? Not just the king of the Jews. Yes, He is the king of the Jews, but he's also the king of kings and the savior of the whole world. How can I find him? Now, I don't know if you uh, did any traveling over the Christmas period. We were allowed, weren't we, on Christmas Day uh, to travel uh, to uh, family. And often Christmas is a period of traveling. My friends... One of the greatest journeys undertook at Christmas was the long journey of the wise men to Bethlehem. And if you want to become a Christian, and if you are a Christian, it's actually a journey, uh, not a physical journey. We don't believe in going on pilgrimages to places. It's a spiritual journey. It's a pilgrimage. That's... uh, what we're thinking of. Uh, To become a Christian is to seek Jesus Christ and to find him. And then in a way, the journey doesn't stop once we find him. The journey continues. And the journey isn't going to end when we reach the end of our mortal life. The journey then is going to get even better. And it's going to reach its destination in heaven. Oh, what a wonderful thing Christianity is. Have you ever thought of Christianity as a spiritual journey? That is what I want us uh, to look at these wise men 
for. They were wise. Have you become wise unto salvation? Have you found wisdom incarnate? That's who Jesus Christ is. He is wisdom. That's how you become wise. Now, one of the uh, best hymns uh, concerning the wise men, which we haven't got a recording of, is Brightest and Best. Do you know what, what I'm referring to? Brightest and Best of the Sons of the Morning. Dawn on our darkness. Isn't it a dark world spiritually? And lend us thine aid, star of the east, the horizon adorning, guide, guide us to where our infant redeemer is laid. Don't you want to find Jesus Christ here this morning, spiritually? Or what did we sing in that last hymn? As with gladness, men of old, did the guiding star behold. As with joy, they hailed its lights, leading onward, beaming bright. So, most gracious Lord, may we evermore be led to the... Before I started the journey, I went to chapel and I hated it. But once God started a gracious work in my heart, and I'm sure you can say the same, then it's the greatest joy to go after Jesus Christ. Let's look at the journey of the wise men and learn some lessons for our finding of Jesus Christ. The first thing I want to say about their journey was how unpromising it started off. Uh, verse 1, now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east. I've already mentioned where that could have been. Uh, it is interesting, isn't it, that Daniel many centuries before, was in Babylon, and Daniel was given much uh, wisdom in uh, reading dreams and reading the stars. And some think that these wise men uh, would have been part of a, a, a college that would have been founded by Daniel. I don't know if that's true. Uh, but they weren't Jews. They were Gentiles like us. Uh, they were astrologers, not like um, the modern-day astrologers that uh, write in the magazines, uh, but they were studying the stars, and they were able to read into uh, those things, uh, certain uh, great events. So they weren't religious people. Uh, they lived far away from the promised land. They did not have knowledge of Scripture. God appeared, as it were, in this supernatural star, the morning star, the day star. What an unpromising beginning. You know what? That encourages me no end. Because... God can come to people in the most unexpected of places. He doesn't need us to spread the gospel. Now, thank God he uses his people. This is why this church is here, to tell you about Jesus Christ. But God isn't limited to uh, the church. God can meet people even in far-flung places where there 
isn't a Christian witness. Uh, have you heard some of the testimonies of our Iranian friends? How God spoke to some of them in dreams and visions. Now, that isn't God's normal way. God normally speaks in his word in the Bible. But there are times, even today, when God can come to a person in a dream. Uh, there's a well-known book, isn't there, uh, written by a former Muslim. I dared to call him father. Uh, a person finding uh, Jesus Christ, not in the word, being led eventually to the church, but God coming first to them in a dream and a vision. Now, that gives me great encouragement. And what about us? Is there somebody here this morning who may think of themselves as an unexpected candidate for becoming a Christian? Um, this is Mr. Spurgeon. Oh, <laughs> that's some who are far off from him spiritually. You may be in church, but far off spiritually. May come today and ask, where is he? that is born the king of the Jews, for we have come to worship him. May feet that have been accustomed to broad roads, but unaccustomed to the narrow path, this day pursue the way till they find Jesus and bow before him with all their hearts, finding salvation in him. May 2021 be a year when people begin to look for Jesus Christ, even in our midst. You know, that encourages me. God can come to you in the most unexpected of places. He can come to people who are on our hearts and not here, not interested, who've gone far away. God can come to them even as I'm speaking now without using my little message. God can come to people who've never heard of Jesus Christ that's encouraging. It's also frightening. You know, the king here, Herod, the king of Israel, he was opposing the newborn spiritual king. Uh, when the wise men went to Jerusalem, uh, they asked that question to Herod, where is he? Where is the king of the Jews? And Herod was envious. And Herod feigns interest, doesn't he? Uh, he says, uh, find him and let me know where he is so that I can go and worship him too. Herod had no desire whatsoever to worship Jesus Christ. He was so jealous that someone else was going to usurp his authority as king, that Herod wanted to know where he was born in order that he may kill him. And there are people today who oppose Jesus Christ. They want to do away with his name. I take it that if you are here this morning that that's not you. Otherwise you wouldn't be in this place. But what is frightening is the way the religious people here in Jerusalem uh, act. Uh, the wise men have come a long way with very little knowledge of Scripture, if any knowledge, in order to find Jesus Christ. But look at the attitude of those who do know their Bibles. Uh, when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled 
and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered the religious leaders, the chief priests, and the scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And do you know what they said? They said the right thing. They gave a correct biblical exposition. They expounded Micah, you Bethlehem in the land of Judah are not the least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. They knew the answers, but didn't do anything to them. Isn't that a worse place to be in? To be indifferent to Jesus Christ. Is that you, my friend? Uh, here's J.C. Ryle. How often the very people who live nearest to the means of grace, that's a description of what we're doing this morning. Uh, it's the church, the preaching, the singing, the praying. The people who live nearest to the means of grace are those who neglect them most. There is only too much truth in the old proverb, the nearer the church, the further from God. Familiarity with sacred things has an awful tendency to make us despise them. I know I've mentioned our brothers from Iran. Don't they put us to shame sometimes in their hunger after the word of God? Don't they put us to shame in their expectancy in God answering their prayers? Don't they put us to shame in their earnestness in attending the meetings? And why have we come here this morning? I know I'm here because I've got a job to do. <laughs> but woe, woe be to me if I only stand in this pulpit because I'm supposed to. May, may I, as your pastor, be preaching this word because the Lord has laid a message upon my heart, you know? May God deliver us from professionalism. And why are you here? Are you here? Because like the wise men, you've come to seek Jesus Christ and to worship him. When they eventually got to the stable, it would not have been the stable, would it? it would have been in a house. It may not have been to their liking. Uh, a poor house in Bethlehem would have been no comparison to the royal courts in Babylon, where they would have been before. But who cares? They have now found the saviour of the world. And that's all that matters. Why have you come here this morning? Have you come here to find faults with the preaching? Are you more interested in your expert knowledge of the word of God, rather than in finding Jesus Christ anew. It's a horrible thing. Knowledge in and of itself. Paul says, much knowledge on its own puffs up. May God deliver us from that May God deliver us from becoming religious experts. May we rather be lowly like these wise men. They were famous people, and yet, spiritually speaking, they came empty-handed to find Jesus Christ. That's the approach 
we all should have, myself included, dare I say. I don't want to stand on a pedestal. I know I'm up here on a platform, but we're all together, all together. Uh, one of the hymns I've quoted, it says this, Vainly we offer each ample oblation. Uh, that's our offering. Vainly with gifts would his favour secure. Riches by far is the heart's adoration. That's what God is interested in, my friend. My heart, your heart. Dearer to God are the prayers of the poor. Are you humble and poor in heart this morning? That's what God loves. A broken and a contrite spirit I will not despise, says God. With all of our religious privileges, with all of our reformed evangelical heritage, which I love to bits, with all of our uh, knowledge of scripture, which I'm not despising, in the end, what do we do with it? I'd rather have a little knowledge of the word of God and act upon it than know much and remain indifferent. And I'm sure you would as well. So an unauspicious start, an unpromising beginning. Do you feel as if you've not started yet in the Christian life? Take heart. God can, can do a lot with you, my friend. Do you feel that you don't belong to the church, as it were, that you're too different, too unexpected? Don't be afraid. God can take hold of you. You know, God in recent years has been raising men, uh, preachers, from outside the evangelical scene. Thank God he can raise a powerful preacher of the gospel from outside our little scene. So an unexpected uh, beginning. Then look at the second thing that happens to them in their journey. They've traveled now and they've followed the star and they have come to the promised land. What do they do next? They take a bad turn. They take a wrong turn. They should have gone straight to Bethlehem, shouldn't they? But instead, they go to Jerusalem. Now, why did they do that? They began well. They began in faith. Trusting in God. They didn't have much knowledge. All they had was the guiding star. But at least they were going according to God's revelation. But now, once they have arrived in Israel, their own reasoning starts to take over. So this is how you and I would have acted, I'm sure, as well. Uh, we can't be overly critical of them. They would have argued like this. Now, if this is the king of the Jews that's been declared by the showing of this star, where is the king going to be born? Well, that's a very simple answer. We don't need the star anymore. The king is going to be born in Jerusalem, in the royal palace. And so, according to their own reasoning, they are now being governed. And that leads them astray. My friend... You cannot reason your way to Jesus Christ. It's by faith and faith alone in him that you will find him. You begin with what he has revealed to you in his word. Thank God we often don't need dreams and visions because God has given unto us a more clearer word. And with what little knowledge of 
the word we have, not head knowledge now, but heart knowledge. We seek Jesus Christ and we abandon human reason and logic. You won't find him. You won't. Uh, one of the most famous books, I think it's one of the most uh, popular books ever printed in the whole world, Pilgrim's Progress, uh, describes the Christian life as a journey, pilgrimage. And you've got in Pilgrim's Progress this uh, man called Pilgrim, Christian later. He lives in the city of destruction, as we do. We need Jesus Christ in order to escape from the consequences of sin, from eternal destruction. And he's convicted of that. That's what we call conviction of sin. And it frightens him. And he is impelled to seek for salvation. And evangelist tells him to head for the gates. That's where Jesus Christ is to be found. And Christian, like the wise men, starts off well. But then he gets into the bog, the slough of despond. Have you ever been in a bog? When you walk the moors of South Wales, there are many bogs there. And it's a horrible experience to get stuck in a bog. And this is what happened to Pilgrim. He got stuck in a bog. Conviction of sin is described as a bog. A good description, isn't it? And he's sinking. And he doesn't know what he's going to do about it. And then he gets out and he meets Mr. Worldly Wiseman. And he begins to go astray. Mr. Worldly Wiseman tells him, why are you all worried about your soul? Why are you carrying this burden upon your back? You don't have to be doing this. I'll tell you where to go. You go to a place. Uh, what was the name of the village? You go to a place called Morality. Morality. And they'll know how to take this burden off you. And you go there. Uh, to um, Mr. Legality. That's good, isn't it? Morality. DIY Christianity. And go to the house of Mr. Legality. As long as you start trying to make yourself better. Legalism. This burden will fall from off your back. And then Mr. Legality's got a son. Do you know what the name of the son is? Mr. Civility. And there are good neighbours there, and they're called credits and fashion. Can you see what Bunyan is getting at? Oh, why are you getting all worried about this talk about being saved? Why are you getting all worried about Christ in the heart? Why are you getting all worried about conviction of sin? There's no problem. All you need to do is have a bit of respectable Christianity. All you need to do is just... Uh, come to church, read your Bible, pray, do some good works, and that will get you to heaven. You take a wrong turn. You try to reason your way. The Bible says, the natural man, a person not born again of the Spirit, receives not the things of the Spirit of God. For they are foolishness unto him. Where is Jesus Christ to be found? Not in the palace. Uh, when you have a ruler visiting uh, a people, there is pomp and circumstance, isn't there? That's not how God works. 
I don't think the journey of the wise men was the greatest journey at Christmas time. I don't even think the greatest journey was that of Mary and Joseph leaving Galilee and going to Bethlehem. That would have been a tough journey for them, Mary being pregnant. The greatest journey that happened at Christmas time was the journey of the Son of God leaving the courts of heaven, much grander than the Babylonish courts where the wise men were, and coming all the way into the squalor and the filth and the sin and the weakness of this world. That's the greatest journey. I remember a couple telling me that they had a terrible tragedy. They lost their young son and people were sympathizing with them. And one of the things that touched them the most was some friends of theirs who were living the other side of the country, right? The other side of the country. And they traveled all day to see them and when they saw them, they basically hugged them and said, we are here for you. And because this couple couldn't cope with too much words, they then left and drove all the way back. And this couple were tremendously moved by that demonstration of love. The love that was shown to them was demonstrated by how long they were willing to travel and the love of God is such that the length the Son of God was willing to come in order that you and I might be saved. And that's Christianity. It's not in strength that Jesus Christ came. It was in weakness. And if we want to find him, it's not in the power of our own efforts. It's not with religious deeds or moral deeds. It's in utter weakness we find him. Don't know who wrote it, but there's a poem. Seek not in courts, nor palaces, nor royal curtains drawn, but search the stables, see your God extended on the straw. In weakness, not in the palace, but in the stable. God becoming a baby. Weakness, you can't get any weaker than that. A baby can't look after himself. God needed looking after. That's amazing. Sinclair Ferguson, a great theologian, says, the humility of God left these religious men cold. Humility always does that to the proud and self-sufficient. They are not drawn to humble places, far less a humble saviour. But God humbles the proud and exalts the humble. If you want to find Jesus Christ, you've got to humble yourself, my friend. You've got to give up on your self-righteousness. Ferguson goes on to say, the Savior had been laid in a borrowed manger. A borrowed manger from the squalor of a borrowed manger. Later, he is to live in a borrowed house. He who owned the universe didn't own even his own home. And then later on he'd be lifted up on a cross. But even that cross was a borrowed cross because it was Barabbas, not Jesus Christ, who was meant to be crucified. And what's the essence of the gospel? If you had to define the gospel in just a few words, and we shouldn't have a problem doing that, if you don't know what the gospel is, I feel sorry for you, especially after coming to this church Sunday after Sunday where the gospel is preached. What is the gospel? The gospel is this. He is our substitute. He was on a borrowed cross. 
It was your sins and mine that should have been there. And it was in that weakness that the power of God, the power of salvation was released coming to you and me. Praise God. Praise God. Uh, let me quote Townend again. Through the kisses of a friend's betrayal, Judas Iscariot, he was lifted on a cruel cross. He was punished for a world's transgression. He was suffering to save the lost. He fights. He fights for breath. He fights for me. Loosing sinners from the claims of hell and with a shout, our souls are free. Death defeated by Emmanuel. Hallelujah. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. It was foolishness to Herod. It was foolishness to the scribes and the Pharisees and the religious leaders. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. What's your response to the cross this morning? Are you praising the Lord because of the weakness of the Son of God hanging on the cross? At the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the lights, the burden of my soul rolled away. You don't have to go to morality to be released of the burden. Actually, it'll make your burden worse. It's Mount Calvary, Mount Calvary. At the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light and the burden of my soul rolled away, it was there, by faith, I received my sight. And now I am happy. Are you happy? I am happy all the day, even in COVID, even in lockdown, even in uh, the situation amongst the churches. I'm happy because I have a saviour who's died for me and who lives for me and he lives in my heart. Now, one last point. Finally, these wise men got wise and they went back to Bethlehem. It was only five miles. They'd gone astray. They went back and they found Jesus. Oh, just look at uh, their response. When they saw the star again, they rejoiced, happy, you see, with exceeding great joy. Can you imagine them just shuffling along to Bethlehem? I think they were jumping for joy. I think they couldn't wait to get there. Uh, oh, there's a Welsh uh, carol, a very early carol, uh, which says, Auni Bethlehem Orthangani. We'll all go to Bethlehem full of singing. If you're singing like that, you're full of rejoicing. And then they fell down and worshipped him and they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense uh, and myrrh. Very quickly, when we find Jesus Christ at that cross, it's not easy believism, right? It's not easy believism. When we say by faith alone we are saved, it's not just head knowledge. It humbles us. It humbles us. It humbles us to the dust. That's the offense of the cross, that it had to take the sufferings of the Son of God to save us. There was no other way. That's the most humbling thing in the universe, to be told that you can't save yourself, that your sin is so bad, so damning, it requires none other than the Son of God incarnate to deal with it. There's a cathedral in Copenhagen, 
apparently, the Lutheran cathedral, and there's a modern statue. Is it a modern statue? I think it's a modern statue of Christ there with his arms outstretched, welcoming a sinner to him. I love that. But then, if you want to see the face of Jesus Christ, the statue has been so built that you have to kneel down to actually see his face. I like, I like that balance. The open arms of Jesus Christ. Come as you are. You do not have to make yourself better before coming to Christ. But my friend, in coming to Jesus Christ, you must bow the knee. There's no other way. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God that he might exalt you in due season. There's joy there. I've already mentioned that. And there's worship, isn't there? These gifts. Do you see a significance in the gifts? Gold. Do you know what gold stands for? Royalty. They are acknowledging this is the real king of kings, not Herod. Royalty. Uh, what about um, frankincense or incense? That shows deity. This is the son of God. This is God himself. And myrrh. Myrrh is used for death and for uh, um, anointing dead bodies before they're buried. And it just shows this king of kings, God himself. He came to die. You see, these three gifts are not DIY Christianity. They're not the wise men trying to say, look what we can do. They are all pointing to the King of Kings, to the Son of God, and to the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. God promises if we seek him with all our hearts, we will find him. Do you believe that? I believe that with all my being. If we are serious with God, he will manifest himself to us. The problem with the evangelical churches in the West at the moment is that we say that with our lips, but we don't believe it's in our hearts. And maybe on this cold winter's morning, the best way I can end this message is by quoting Christina Rossetti. She was a believer, you know. Christina Rossetti, a great poet. And she wrote... Do you know, in the bleak midwinter, what, a, what, what an appropriate poem to end this morning. It's so freezing, isn't it? In the bleak midwinter. Well, listen, there's a verse which says, What can I give him, poor as I am, spiritually poor? If I were a shepherd, I would bring a lamb. If I were a wise man, I would do my part. Yet what I can, I give him, give my heart. That's what God wants. Your heart. Not your expert knowledge. Your broken, sinful, contrite heart. As you say, only Jesus Christ can save. And I'm coming in weakness to the foot of his cross and I'm going to trust him. Not just head knowledge. I'm going to follow him. This is the journey now. I, I, I started the journey. I found him. And now I'm really beginning the journey of the Christian life. How long have you been traveling for? Maybe some of us have been traveling for decades now. Praise God, he has never let us down, hasn't he? He's been there for us. And especially when things have got tough, he's really been uh, precious to us then and we've had people from our church they've come to the end of their journey they've gone to their heavenly home and one day we will arrive 
at home. And aren't you looking forward to that? To arrive, to arrive, and to just find Jesus Christ then, not uh, with faith, but with sight. Or to, I know he draws near to us sometimes, that it's not faith, is it? It's the Spirit bearing witness with our spirits. But that's just a glimpse of heaven. Oh, to arrive one day in glory and to see his face and to see him as he is. Uh, that, that's what's ahead of us. Oh, I want all of you to be Christians here, real Christians, journeying uh, to Jesus Christ and then journeying with him.